Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome back to the How to Get an Analytics Job. So we are playing the intro from our, we're we're streaming on Tuesdays, my analytics lecture series at Greensboro College. So if you guys haven't checked that out, go check that out. But we have an exciting guest. So Gilbert, it's been, what, almost a year. So what's been going on in your world? Yeah, a lot. I think we have a lot to catch up uh, the coming hour on both sides, I think. A lot happened and a lot of exciting stuff. So looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So you have just continued kind of going down this route of soft skills for, would you say it's like the analytics industry or the data science or like just data people in general? Yeah, I generally call them my target audience, data professionals. Because Mm -hmm. in in my trainings, I mostly see data scientists, data analysts, but also data engineers, even product owners of data products. And so it's, it's a bit broader than I initially thought, but most of the people are data analysts, data scientists. Gotcha. So we have um, our former social media manager here chiming in. So Albert's saying that you guys look alike. I don't see the resemblance. So Albert's saying that Hunter looks like the younger version of you, but I don't see it. What do you I guys don't think? know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit around here. I, we have different eye color though. My, I have brown eyes. Hunter Brown, 
My last name is Brown. I don't know how they originally came up with it. They looked at the baby eyes, baby's eyes, like, oh, he had brown eyes. And that's why people are coming to the podcast for this. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Gilbert, what? Give us a high level overview. Like, what are the high points? Because I think you distilled it down, kind of into like, bam, bam, bam. This is what you need to know, right? Mm Hmm. Yeah. So you you mean what I did last year? Well, I'm saying like, what are the soft skills or what are the major tenants or ah, right. of right. soft skills for data professionals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I see are the, the most important soft skills. I spoke to a lot of people in the industry, both data professionals and also yeah, data managers or directors to, to understand, okay, what are the most important soft skills for people to learn? And when I say soft skills, you can also... Think about communication skills. They people have different names for kind of the same things, right? Mm-hmm. Let's not have that discussion. But what I what I found is that there's there are a few soft skills that are very important. First one is understanding, uh, asking the right questions, and thereby understanding the business. Also, getting buy-in from stakeholders because data professionals work with stakeholders a lot. They need to get their buy-in mm-hmm. to have them rubber stamp what you do, or otherwise. Nothing will work, will happen with your work. Um, and part of that is also persuasion. So you need to be able to persuade other people. And I think a mistake that many data professionals make, and I have made in the past and still make sometimes, is thinking too much about the data instead of thinking about what your stakeholder finds important, what your manager or that marketeer or that director finds important. What are his or her targets? Because that's what matters. Yeah, I would say that is a huge myth that we're trying to bust on the podcast, that hard skills are going to be the thing that determines the quality of my career. And I think that that is very much secondary to hard skills feel like interchangeable, like like learning Power BI versus Tableau versus R. I mean, you can spend X amount of months to, to take that, but that's kind of secondary to how are you deploying the skills you have to make an impact on the business? I think that's the skill set that people aren't really, I, I don't know. I don't know what, where that kind of noise came out in the marketplace. Hard skills. Yeah, I think, skills. yeah. I think that many data professionals, they jump into the data field because they are passionate for data, right? Not, not passionate for managing stakeholders or how to do presentations or, but mostly finding insights. But what frustrates many people, including myself, is that many of those insights, however brilliant they are, however insightful and maybe potentially useful, if you cannot communicate them, people will not recognize their value. And I think this is something we need to learn and keep on learning and keep on reminding ourselves that it's only about the business impact and helping the business make better decisions instead of finding the best insights according to our definition. Gotcha. And look who, uh, so Matt Bratton is one of our longtime fans. He's actually an analytics manager and one of his LinkedIn posts recently was about using data to inform better business strategy. And it just seems like, uh, maybe that's like the new iteration. Like all of a sudden there was an explosion of technology and everyone's like, oh, I want all these hard skills. And now that's kind of become not, it's not a competitive advantage anymore. Everybody can do data visualization, but not everybody can, you know, have a million dollar insight come out of one of their dashboards. Exactly. And that, that in the end determines what your, 
what you're worth in, in terms of career worth, right? If you're if right. you have those great great insights that you found fantastic, mm-hmm. um, but no one else is enthusiastic about, then it's not really making an impact. So it that determines your yeah your impact and your salary and eventually. Gotcha. I so, match. so in the notes here, one one of the things that you mentioned is you need to think about how to ask good or even or better questions. Mm-hmm. What, tell me, elaborate a little bit more on that. Like, what do you mean? What, what's the importance of that? Yeah, I think what a tendency is of many data analytics professionals and engineers, if you take it a bit broader, is that many people in that, in that group, including myself, are very passionate about the topic and very enthusiastic and the type of problem solvers. And when someone presents us with a problem, when someone asks us a question to get insights, we are so passionate and we jump into the data without asking enough questions. And therefore, we, we are solving a business problem that is not actually the problem because many data or many business people don't really know what they need. They ask a question, but usually it's something else. And it's our job to discover that, to ask the right questions. And there are different frameworks for that. You can use five times why, you know, to get to the core, what is actually that you're asking for. Um, so you, you really need to, to peel the onion. And also a few weeks ago, I posted a, a visual that I created about wants and needs. And mm. many people say they want something. I want, I want to know how many simple example, how many visitors mm-hmm. arrive at our websites or how many convert. That's what they say. But Usually the, 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 the need is something else, the why. What do they actually want to measure, whether a campaign is effective? But by asking questions, open questions, more about the why and what is the, the high overarching business objective, you get to the core. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and and see what's interesting as I and as I've kind of matured as a professional, I would say, is that what I've noticed is that a lot of the times like I I totally fell into that of not asking good questions, and it's almost a self-soothing mechanism of I'm anxious. I'm going to go start jump right into the problem. I'm going to start solving it before right. you kind of take the a, a, a five thousand foot view and see kind of a survey of of what's going on. Um, and that kind of involves 
the thing that I'm actively trying to cultivate right now in my life is better judgment because I now have leverage. Like, for example, this podcast. I mean, if I say something that is bad advice, you know, 300 people might take me up on that. And then that has that's I said that one time it goes out to 300 people and negatively <laughs> impacts their life. Um, so, it, yeah, it's an interesting thing that I think a lot of especially entry level people haven't even thought about, like there's so much concern about can I solve the problem versus how can I effectively solve this? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and this kind of gets into the idea of uh, systems thinking versus ad hoc thinking. I don't know if you, have you ever talked much about that? I haven't talked much about it. I, I, I learned a bit about it, but maybe you can, you can tell a bit more about it. Um, so it's the difference between doing, so let's, I, I can tell you about how I, pivoted into the analytics space actually. So back, mm-hmm. man, this was like five years ago. I'm starting to get old. So five <laughs> years ago, I I took on an internship where I had to build out one line review in Excel and I pitched the business owner, hey, I can build out a Tableau infrastructure that, will, that I can do one time and it can scale out to all 17 assortments and we can just refresh it. So it's about building an infrastructure versus having to manually create something. Because if you manually create it, like... I tell my students this all the time. The best thing about Excel is that you can, you know, manually input things in and it's easy. The worst thing about Excel is that you can manually input things and it's easy because you can <laughs> just type in, for example, an O instead of a zero. And then that might be a million dollars that you overbill or underbill a client or something like that. Right. So thinking about, all right, I'm going to architect the system and then let that system run. And then maybe have to tinker on it a little bit once it breaks or if, you know, there's there's some things. And then you take mm-hmm. an iterative approach and, and slowly kind of get it built up. Exactly. And I think to, to be able to think in that way, you also need to understand the broader perspective rather than just what the person is asking. You also need to know who else is impacted or who else is interested in the, in the result of the, the insight or the data products that you're building. So I think, yeah. I think it's very much related. And um, what, what helped you to... Ask better questions. What helped me? Mm-hmm. Um, so what? So I, it's funny because I went totally the non-conventional path, and I'm like, like now that I'm like kind of in a good place now. Like looking back, I'm like, I don't think I would advise people going the path that I went. So I went directly from my MBA into private independent consulting, and I was learning projects. I was learning the skill sets and the business acumen, and talking with. CEOs, CFOs, CMOs about how they think. What, mm-hmm. where I started to learn how to ask better question was just getting to interact with them more and seeing how they they think. Because then mm-hmm. I could kind of see like, all right, CFOs are very different in how they think about and relate to data than a CMO. CMOs, chief marketing executives, oftentimes like more like visually striking dashboards. CFOs, right. it's almost like they want a table and they want to be able to like filter the table, but they, because they, they live in, they've been living in Excel for the past, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. So I think that I developed empathy for different kind of departments or domains and realized that, okay, I got to see at a high level how the financials run, how the marketing runs, how the sales team runs, and then realizing that they're all, they all kind of wear different hats and they all can be functional or dysfunctional. And it just, it's interesting seeing how they all kind of 
fit together. I, I think that mm-hmm. answers your question. So the, to answer yeah. your question, how I learned to ask better questions is just by expanding my consulting agency. Right, right. Yeah, and what you're what you're saying is that everyone has this different perspective or frame. Mm-hmm. You know, the CFO would like to have a, a more report where he or she can drill down and a marketeer likes fancy graphs, you know, very generalizing here. But but if you understand what's the frame of people, how they see the world, how they perceive it and what they what their preferences are, we we know how yeah what what are what a data should look like, right? What are the drivers? What are of their decisions? Mm-hmm. What do they find important? The, the marketeer finds yeah, customer loyalty important and getting new customers, right? Um, the customer service agents maybe slightly different KPIs. And I think by understanding that what other people find important, what drives their decisions, and what t- type of targets they have, what their bonuses depending dependent on, we understand so much more of the political um, environment and right. knowing how, yeah, what type of agendas each person has. And I think it's important because data is cross-functional, right? It's cross-domain and it's, and it's important to understand all those aspects. To circle back though around, like now that you've, I've, I've kind of digested the question a little bit better, the, it relates to buy-in. So I learned how to be more empathetic and ask better questions because if I didn't build out, so essentially the way that I would approach a new consulting client is let's, let's sign a retainer. I will work with you for one month. We'll get a very kind of bare bones dashboard up and running. And if it wasn't geared towards something that they would use and they would adopt in their infrastructure, they wouldn't sign on for month two. So it was very much tied into can I create something that is appealing to them? If I can, I make money. If I don't, I'm, I've got to find something else to do. So, right. uh, so you were kind of forced to think right. in, in that way. Right. And, uh, and it, it's probably the, the quickest way to learn stuff. You know, if you're forced to think that way, I, I think people that choose a different path, maybe it, it, it takes a bit, takes a bit longer, you know, before people realize, Hey, maybe my impact is not as big as it could be what uh, what could be the reason and afterwards they may discover that it's one of these these reasons that they don't gain enough buy-in you know they don't or they ask them questions in the beginning and then work for three weeks or three months even and then deliver a product that is not desirable without you know having these check-ins and and checking what's right. really important for for people i think there's a lot to learn from design thinking for data professionals it's tell me, something I it's something I integrate a lot in my trainings. Tell me a little bit more about because I, I've heard of design thinking. I haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet. What is design mm-hmm. thinking? Yeah, so it's a it's a methodology for for innovation, and yeah, the easiest way to explain it without uh, drawing anything or having any any slides is imagine three bubbles like a Venn diagram, right? Everything is a Venn diagram by now, um, but three bubbles. Feasibility, so that's what technically feasible, and then um, viability, so what is solving a business problem, and then on top, desirability. And I think where mm-hmm. many many data professionals operate is in the feasibility circle, because it's where just finding opportunities, you know, just seeing whatever works, what is technically feasible, what data do we have available, more on the technical side. 
then on viability is more about the business. So some people, they spend quite a lot of time understanding the business, asking the right questions and getting their buy-in. But what is on top is where not many people operate because it's desirability. And it's a lot about political interest, agendas, um, what type of you know behavioral patterns do people have? And by really understanding their, the more emotional part, because all people, especially non-data people maybe, are driven by emotions, right? And we need yeah. to understand them and pay attention to them. That's what my whole book is about. Um, and so that the, bu- the bubble on top is not is where many data professionals do not pay enough attention on. Um, so it's desirability. Is, is, is the product that I'm actually building, do people need that behind the want that they're saying? Right. And, and see, I, I realize I have some secret sauce here in that. I identify more as an entrepreneur and kind of secondary as a analytics expert or data professional. And I'm realizing almost all my friends, all of our conversations are in that that third bubble of desirability of like, what is the innovation that we can that we can just quickly turn to all of a sudden it opens up a floodgate. And then there's a lot of value that we're creating out in the world. And there's also money that that we're uh, able to to make off that. Also, we've been neglecting our chat, so we got Tim chiming in here. Back to my comment about if I make a, some bad advice, the leverage there is going to be a lot of people are going to take it. So yeah, don't listen to me, obviously. <laughs> Glad to see you're here, Tim. And then let's see. So we have Abel, who is agreeing with you. So I can I completely agree with Gilbert, um, but the problem that I face most of the time is that the key decision makers want to see crazy insights even when we don't have enough data. What would you say, what's, what's your advice in that situation? Yeah, I would I would try to dig deeper in because I totally recognize what you're saying. And what I would be interested in is what makes them want those crazy insights. Why do they want them? And what's the, what's the reason behind it? Because, of course, there's, there's a reason they ask them, right? Okay, maybe it's kind of random, but usually there's a reason. And even that reason may not be the, the actual reason. So I'll try to dig deeper and understand why they, why they want it. Um, instead so Matt's of, saying that uh, yeah. might be a poor reflection on leadership, potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So if, if, if people are asking for crazy insights, I'm not sure what crazy insights mean, right? Is it, is it on topics that are not important or do they want to find extreme data points to, to validate and support their own decision-making? So we probably need to know a bit more about what, what those crazy insights are exactly. So Kusa says, ask for more data. But then this runs into the problem. There might be a mismatch or misalignment between what what they want to use data for to drive insights or drive strategy versus the data collection process. So they might not have the data, which is a whole different conversation of, all right, we need to, we need to broaden how, how much data we're collecting. And maybe it's instead of collecting it every once a month, it needs to be every hour of every day. So that that's maybe I'm, I'm kind of Abel hasn't chimed in about elaborating on what he meant, but maybe a crazy insight is I want to know, which hour of the day and which day of the week are, should we push X product? And then you right. only have biannually. The data is only collected on a yearly basis. It's like, 
there's levels of granularity that you don't have. Yeah, exactly. And and in that case, I think it's important that we understand why they, why that timing is so important. You know, because maybe maybe we we can reach um, we can come to the same conclusion or reach the same goal that the stakeholder has in mind, that the person has in mind, with different type of data. So I think with by understanding why they want to know that timing, um, maybe there's a different way to to reach that. All right, I so think we... I think coming to, coming back to your you know asking questions and because I started saying we're we're passionate you know many data professionals are passionate problem solvers they want to jump in and you also mentioned about being anxious and you know wanting to jump into it and I think that's also a great point because many data professionals are introverts and very often data professionals are less senior than the person who is asking for the data. So I think there's a double dynamic going on where people who are introverted and less senior um, tend to yeah, not challenge as much, as much as it would be required to, to get to a working solution. Mm-hmm. And I think what people need to adopt, the mindset that people need to adopt is that by challenging and co-creating, you, you don't need to do it alone, right? You need to work together with the business. They have part of the puzzle and you have as well. Of course, you're the data expert, but they are the business experts. And I think you need to solve that puzzle together. And I think by adopting that mindset, you're also less anxious to, to challenge and to say, hey, I don't really understand yet. Let's let's sit down for 10 minutes. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think that there can be a power dynamic different, like a depending on the culture of the organization, it may not be couth or socially acceptable for you to say, Hey, I can't get this or, Hey, we need to change this. Maybe they don't want to know kind of like the lower level. And also too, there's something to to be said about like, if you're entry level and you're coming in, maybe you shouldn't be the one dictating all all the data decisions (laughs) because it's not, it's not like a fully, uh, you you don't have a 360 degree view because, because oftentimes there are hidden costs. And maybe it's something as, as much as like social capital. Like uh, I don't want to reach out to this other department and have to change the way that they do because I'm not on good terms with their department head or something like that. Right. I mean, it gets right. so complex. And I think if you're looking at it from the bottom level, you, you don't realize it's almost like a, a Russian nested doll of like complexity, <laughs> you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think step by step, you learn a bit more about it. Uh, the, the longer, the more experience you get in your career, and also the more, the longer you work for that company, you know more about the dynamics. But I think it stays, it's, it keeps, stays very difficult. I mean, numbers is easy. People are very, very hard. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so true. Because you think that like big data, everything's like so elusive and complex. But I mean, like, for example, like buyer behavior, it might it might be the fact that on Tuesday at 3 p.m., Jenny missed lunch, so she was hungry, so she didn't buy this product. I mean, it's so, like, there's, like, just huge amounts of complexity. Oh, look. So Deepak is one of the first people to take our, um, he took all three of our case study courses for our platform that we built out this summer. So, and he, he landed his first Tableau developer job. So Deepak, welcome. So he said, Congratulations. Yeah. So he said, today's topic is very interesting, and I feel currently can't be learned by anyone in a course institute academy. 
So, Gilbert, it's time for you to step up to play and pitch yourself. Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're coming in and like, because I, I, I do see soft skills as, you know, I, it's funny because like all of a sudden now I've been asked to teach four college classes next semester. So like wow. I'm, I'm having, well, I'm, I'm not going to, four college classes is a lot, but I do see exactly what he's saying. Like it's hard to teach the soft skills. I mean, we can do it at Greensboro College in that I'm, I'm, I'm teaching the capstone course. So I have two, two student groups working with two of my consulting clients. So there mm-hmm. they, they get that. Like, for example, they'll say something like, dear Mr. So-and-so. And it's like, don't, don't write dear in your email. Like no one says that. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you go about teaching soft skills? Yeah, I think there are some similarities compared to technical skills and some differences. The similarities are that it's, it takes practice. If you take, if you need to uh, learn Python code coding, it takes you uh, quite a while. Um, and soft skills as well. It's tough, but what soft skills requires is also to 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 reflect on your own behavior and to become more self-aware of how you interact with others and how you come across, and also what are your uh, your gaps? Because I think we can all resonate with feeling of presenting insights that we think are logical, that we think are well researched, but other people don't listen to it. The business apparently doesn't find it important. And apparently there's a disconnect. So what is important is um, that there's a lot of reflection. So what, what helps me a lot is, medita- uh, is meditation and journaling. Journaling is writing about, you know, what happened about certain situations with my manager mm-hmm. or with colleagues or we're doing a presentation. What exactly happened in those, those situations? What did I do well? What can I improve? And in my training programs, um, what I find important is that it's not just one session. Of course, you can learn a lot in one session, but what actually gets impact is multiple sessions. So my training program is three sessions in, oh, spread out over three months. And in between, there are short videos of one, two minutes and encouraging people to put in practice what they learned. For example, the session about business and understanding is after People get an email to recap the frameworks that they learned, the type of questions they can ask, and then put in practice what they uh, what they learn. Okay, I love that you said practice because I think that's what it is. It's a daily, weekly, monthly practice. And so Deepak chimed in again and said um, he feels like the way to get bridge that gap is through real world experience, which absolutely. But I mean, you need a certain level of soft skills to even get in the door. So. Yes, mm-hmm. but I think that there's also a lot of space. But for example, like what we're doing this semester, so we're live streaming every Tuesday lecture. And then on Thursday, I'm sitting with the students at the beginning of the in-person class and I'm helping them craft a LinkedIn post about what they learned in the previous week, uh, earlier on in the weeks um, in the episode. And part of it is I, just every week having at least one LinkedIn post. Because I think that, you, you get into kind of habit formation and that has a huge return. I think that uh-huh. if you're anti, I don't, I don't want to say antisocial, if you're introverted and you're not used to communicating or kind of like, I think part of, part of what it is, like you were talking about the, um, like the employee manager dynamic. Like uh-huh. if you're not used to taking up space and saying, no, I think you're wrong about this. I think we should do X, Y, and Z. 
that's really uncomfortable and it and it takes it's going to take some time for you to kind of ref kind of reframe how you interact that way yeah absolutely and we we've we've spent our whole life uh building certain patterns right patterns mm -hmm. that come back pattern that, patterns that we used to and with these behavioral patterns uh, they're so tough to break and it requires getting out of your out of your comfort zone like you mentioned it requires you to be able to catch yourself and see okay hey i'm i'm, I'm not saying no where i should say no or i'm being submissive or other behaviors that you don't want to display but they go kind of automatic they call it it's kind of an algorithm you know it's it's very quick and that's in your book that you sent me which was fantastic by the way <laughs> yeah so there in my book I, I talk a lot about those algorithms and how mm -hmm. to understand your own algorithms your behavioral patterns and you need to be yeah you need to catch yourself to see hey i'm sa saying yes but actually i I'm, i disagree or in talking with my manager, I need to be a bit more, um, a bit more upfront. And by doing so, after you can implement a new behavior, but it's always difficult. I mean, if you're not used to presenting, presenting will make you probably nervous. And you need to present. You need to push yourself. And I think that's the big difference between technical skills and soft skills is that many people working in data, they are pretty comfortable learning Python. Even if it's a beginner course or advanced course, it's kind of in the, within the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Whereas communication requires a level of vulnerability and showing yourself as well. And I think it's many people find it even more tough to to feel to feel in this in these situations. Right, and then I think what they do is they just double down on the hard skills. So maybe yeah. maybe it gets back to that self soothing thing that the, the reason that you know, all these Power BI, Tableau, our courses are so popular is that they're anxious about their career. So they're like, if I just spend a hundred hours this month taking Udemy courses, then I'm going to be okay. And it's yeah. like, I mean, you'll get, you will get something, but I feel like it hits a point of diminishing returns. Yeah, and absolutely. Absolutely. And at some point, or I, I, I think, you get a much stronger profile and a much bigger impact if you develop both. And I've seen it as well with myself and with other people that of course you need the technical skills because without the technical skills, maybe you're just a, a, a salesperson as many data professionals would probably say, <laughs> uh, a, a car salesman. Um, but with, with, while well, you have some technical skills, and developing also some communication skills, you also make sure that those technical skills get the best out of the data, right? Instead of just insights that no one ever uses, which leads to frustration and a lot of other pains. I mean, it's kind of like a triangle if you think about it. So you have your hard skills, you have your soft skills, and then at the top of the, the other point is business acumen, in my opinion. So, mm -hmm. you, so if you can expand any one of those points out further, it makes the overall triangle bigger. Exactly. Exactly. And I think I think they all interact as well, because if you mm -hmm. get better communication skills, you would get closer to the business. You are able to ask better questions and you get more business acumen. You automatically expand there as well. And I think with the technical skills, they also interact with uh, with the other areas. Isn't an isosceles triangle where every single length is a different size? Sorry again. I am going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to really stretch out this metaphor. So you don't want to have an ugly looking isosceles triangle where you know your hard skills are this long, yeah. 
and then your yeah your, your business acumen is this big and then the other one is trying to like match the difference um yeah think about kind of how how to be a more balanced think about profession. how your triangle can be more of a right triangle if you know right yeah I think, yeah exactly i think that makes total sense i think that makes total sense so the 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 kind of area should be you know as large as possible and we have such nerds on our channel it's excuse me it's not isosceles it's scaling <laughs> thanks dina <laughs> what oh wow i shouldn't have pulled that into the chat that's a terrible pun what a cute analogy <laughs> <laughs> Also, sorry, Trent, we totally... So Trent is super active in our Discord server, and he just did a LinkedIn post earlier today about... Um, so he is... what? So, Gilbert, what we've been doing that I think is really cool is we're doing these challenges where it's like, here's data, tag us in it, and we'll, we'll critique what you do and give you feedback, mm -hmm. and then you can kind of take an iterative approach about getting your work. Because it does multiple things. Because Number one, it, it like broadcasts that you're out there doing work, and people can see it, but then you're also growing... So that kind of gets to that personal branding point of do good work in a way that people can see you. So Trent's been super active in that, and I appreciate that. So I think he was talking about um, – where, where were we talking about? Yeah, design and, thinking. Design thinking, that's right. Yeah. So would you agree with this point? So empathize. 100%. No, he's, uh, I think he's totally right. This, this, is, this is what design thinking is, right? And this is, this is the whole process, and – I think this is another reason why design thinking is so valuable because it starts with empathizing what the audience needs, so the business, and understanding that and defining defining the goal because first you need to understand yeah, what is what then is the goal, right? Okay, we have asked all the questions, empathized, but then let's define it. But then not, uh, you know, go separate and see each other in three months, but stay closely to each other and ideate. Uh, state hypotheses and and then try out and not just mm -hmm. in a dark corner but together with the business and that's yeah. this co-creation mindset i'm i'm talking about you need both sides mm -hmm. and you as a data professional you have part of the puzzle and but you cannot do it alone so, so you don't need to you don't need to as well yeah he had a follow-up question about this is an interesting one how would you define an insight good question I would define an insight as a data point that would help the business make a better decision. Right. That's I how think, I define it. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what all of this backs up into is just better decisions. Yeah, exactly. And, and see, and what's, what's, what's funny is it's almost like an, uh, a, hard, a hard skills arms race with a lot of people in that they want to learn machine learning and algorithms and all that, but it doesn't inform any decision. So it's, it's almost like conspicuous consumption at that point. Like you're just burning off all this energy and it's just going wildly out into the ether. Yeah. And in the end, it needs to support the, the business decision-making, right? Otherwise it's, it's beautiful, a wonderful model and a fancy uh, technique, but it's, it's nothing else. Right. And that's eventually what you're, impact in your career in your job is dependent on whether you help others make better decisions and whether that's through a, a dashboard or or algorithm or just one number in an excel sheet doesn't really matter yeah so, so deepak's got another question is design thinking applicable for all possible fields 
applications, industries, or jobs? In the near future, do you see design thinking becoming mandatory for all? Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's applicable to, to all industries and mandatory. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by mandatory. If, but, but I think it's incredibly useful, a useful tool for, for data professionals, but also for, I don't know, for, for everyone, you know, everyone that creates something. And as data professionals, we also create something with, with an end goal. And I think in the past, we've built too many, uh, too many big dashboards or too many big models that in the end um, ended up in an, in an Outlook inbox folder far, far away, you know, buried under all other priorities. You know what it kind of is? And I guess this is kind of being a little hyperbolic. It's kind of like being delusional. Like you're, you're essentially built. Okay. So, okay. When I, when I was gr talking about growing my consultancy, what I would do is build like a very bare bones sales dashboard with like a very, very few KPIs and maybe one or two visualizations. And it was almost like this Trojan horse to get them in to start using it. And then because it was so sparse, they were like, well, what if we had this? What if we had that? And then, because I almost feel guilty in that, like, what I've done is just crowdsource all these ideas that don't come from me. They come from executives that I've worked with. So what I could have done, which is like the antithesis of design thinking is I'm going to cook, I'm going to spend six months cooking up this elaborate dashboard that has all the bells and all the whistles, but it's all coming from me in my own like delusional vacuum. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not um, being, what, what do they say in like the tech world? Like fail fast. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, we checked in every week and slowly ratcheted it up. Um, it was, yeah, it's, it's just this like almost delusional, like, and I think it gets back to that self-soothing thing. Like I'm, I am, I am really want to impress this client. So instead of getting something kind of out to them quick, I'm going to just hold it close to me and right. spend a lot of time and energy just trying to get it configured out like this amazing way and then show it to them. Exactly. I, it, re it requires a, a certain degree of confidence and vulnerability to to show the the messy product, right? The the draft that you have in mind, or the the, the just the, the picture on a on a piece of paper, because you also want to you know add value and and, and, and perform. But ironically, maybe the the best best way to perform is to show something shitty before. Right. Yeah. And well, because I think that it also kind of does multiple things. So it kind of sets the expectation low, you know, because it's not like, you know, you spend hours building this extra special thing and then that's setting the precedent. It's like, no, this is I, I just wanted to get something enough to make sure it's almost like a communication tool. It's like, hey, uh -huh. I know this isn't finished, but I just wanted you to check in before I move forward. Yeah. So it's like a it's an opportunity to collaborate as opposed to kind of keep it close to the vest and try to. I don't know. Yeah. Scale it up in your own delusional mind. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we have some news. So Hunter, you've just been sitting there looking pretty this whole episode. It's time for you <laughs> to step up. So Gilbert, we just had our first meeting with a client where Hunter is going to take a lead on a consulting project. So Hunter, how do you feel about it? I, uh, <clears throat> I was sitting there listening to this person speak and I was just getting more and more excited as he was going on 
where to the point where John David has informed me that I was being entirely too loud in the public space in which we met. We were at a we were at a quiet coffee shop, and Hunter was like progressively getting louder and louder. And I I didn't want to like be like, hey, quiet. I didn't want to ruin his fun, but yeah. So something that I've already been comfortable with is is getting my work out there. I I'm open. I've been open to criticism. I'm known infamously on the channel for for uh, getting torn apart in the past uh, with some of my projects. Um, but but I think as a result of the the experience and the insights that I gained from the people who talked to me in the past, I'm I'm gonna be able to apply a lot of that to this consulting job that I've taken on. And and John, you may, you bring up a good point where it's like, okay, uh, it's really easy to get in, stuck in the analytical mindset where it's like, oh, I just need to make this, I need to make this visualization as interactive as possible. I need the animations to be fluid. I need this. I need that. Where it's like, it, this this client that we're speaking with is extremely interested in the functionality of things and the practicality and how does it actually apply to the business decisions that I'm making right now. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, it's it's something that I've been looking forward to doing for a long time, and I'm, you know, I'm excited to be doing it. Well, so what I wanted to kind of highlight here, so this this person owns multiple franchises in a national chain, but he is also has the ear of the owner of the entire company. So, I mean, this is a, I mean, what do they have like 150 locations across the United States? I mean, they're, they're relatively big. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to kind of communicate, and I was instead of just ch- checking in with you like off air, we can t- have this conversation on the live stream. I mean, no private information, but what, what I wanted to kind of highlight is the fact that Hunter, what you got to see is someone with founders mentality. He owns the business. So it changes the way that he thinks about it. It's not a manager. It's not a middle manager. It's someone who the, the way that the, the decisions are made, either good or bad impacts his pocket. Right. He's looking, a lot. Sorry. He's looking for a lot of, of stuff related to CRM, retention, uh, customer loyalty. Like Gilbert, you were talking about co- how customer loyalty applies to a lot of businesses um, earlier. And it's interesting to see how those, those, those data that he has, he, he's looking for somebody who can come in and say, okay, here's, here's, here's the data. Here's what I've discovered in it. How can we, how can we move forward with this? And he's, he's really excited. He's really excited to be working on it as well. I mean, you, you, you were there too. So you know how, how enthusiastic he was to be. That's true. I, it's funny. Cause I just took a back seat and I let them kind of like, they were like two little chatty Cathy's just chatting <laughs> the storm. Cause it well, it's, it's interesting seeing like a business owner who's so interested in the data. That's the, uh, Gilbert. I don't know if Do you think it's rare. I feel like it is rare. Maybe it's the fact that I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it's a city in the deep south that's got a population of 300,000 people. So maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, are you in a much larger city? I'm in Amsterdam in uh, the Netherlands. So it's yeah. it's, the, it's our biggest city, but it's not even a million. <laughs> right. I mean, so are, what about the business owners that you run across there? Would you say they're more data? Uh, pretty data driven, I would say. Um, most of the business owners that I know, they, they founded companies in the last, say, 15 years. So they're kind of born in this age, right? I, I don't know so many people who founded a business 40 years ago. 
who kind of need to adapt. And of course, it depends on the industry. I, I work with a lot of data. Uh, you're not too late, Nikita. Nitka. <laughs> also, <laughs> we, got, of... we got Tim cringing at the fact <laughs> that I said. So Tim runs Code for Greensboro, which is a nonprofit that uh, does civic data in Greensboro. Tim, are we not in the deep south? I think we're in the deep south. <laughs> but also, in the I, think the, welcome. I, I think the more south you go, like into Florida, the more north you get. So I think right right around Georgia, going up to North Carolina, maybe Virginia. I don't know. I think I consider that deep south. In my <laughs> Sorry, we totally got distracted. So entrepreneurs in Amsterdam. Entrepreneurs in Amsterdam. Okay. I yeah, think so I, I, I think quite a lot of business owners th that I know at least are, are pretty data driven and data savvy as well. So what, what you said, um, so you said they've started businesses within the past 15 years. So an insight about this specific geographic area is that there's a lot of manufacturers that have been around for 50 to 100 years. So yeah. I've kind of carved out a niche in the fact that finding people who are extremely data centric in that specific niche is somewhat rare. But it's worth mm -hmm. millions of dollars if they can exactly. effectively start to connect. Because what's interesting is that it's being data data driven or data informed in your decision making can be a competitive advantage in one niche niche and in another it's like everyone else is this way like it's it's not an advantage hmm. but i think it's only a matter of time until all of the industries are adapting, absolutely adopting they data. have to they have to but for some especially those bigger companies who were not forced in the past yet they they have to move as well but it takes so long because data is everywhere they have so many different systems it is a mess and to yeah they're not very uh, easy on their feet, of course, because they, they, it's difficult to change uh, a company, which is huge. Well, yeah, I see what I, you mean. And we can go a little bit into, um, you're, you're talking about legacy systems and the, the problems it poses to a data model, right? Mm -hmm. So actually, I don't know, Hunter, have we talked about this at all? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. You want to Okay, so bit. actually, Gilbert, I'll, I'll let you take the stage. So wh what what problems do legacy systems, which, Hunter, a legacy system, okay, let's say, okay, Haynes Brand has been around. They're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, 30 minutes away. They've been around for like 150 years. They've been collecting data probably for 100 years. Do you think the system that they initially uh, collect the data with maps well into like, I don't know, the ERP system that they implemented three years ago? Well, I'd imagine not, but right. I have I have a slight question about that. So okay. do I, I would, I, the way that I hear that, it's like with the business over time, as new soft, soft tech is developed, would, would the business just transfer data over time or do a lot of – I mean, this is speaking from a lack of experience. Do a lot of those businesses – just kind of stick with those old systems and then they fling it on the, the analysts and it's like, okay, here's, here's all the data that we have, figure out a way to clean it up and make it new. Like, how does that, how does that work nowadays? I think it depends on the situation. Sometimes that happens like you described. Uh, sometimes they try to you know, come forward to newer systems or integrate everything, but yeah, it's it, because it's such a mess. There are so many different systems Sometimes the data is so old that there's no one to to validate, you know, if that data is trustworthy or not. And of course, you can research a little bit yourself, but sometimes you don't have that context anymore. 
Um, so there's so many, so many issues, and often they, it's unknown. You know who's then who's then the data owner of those legacy systems. No one really knows. So you, even finding out the people that know more about those that data is takes also can take weeks. Yeah, and, and what's interesting too is that the person who created the data system might have not documented what they did. So there's like with within these billion dollar companies, there might be twelve billion dollar or twelve billion rows of data that's just in a database that no one knows how to access because there, there's no map to it. Those situations happen. It's that's not the game that I'm playing. Like I'm my clients are, I think they're doing about 150 million in revenue. Actually, now they they grew. So we're doing we're doing consulting work with clients that are like 200 million in revenue or less. So they don't have these massive. So, I mean, think about like, uh, I'm, I'm rooting down on Hanes just because I, you, you know what Hanes, like Hanes brand, right? Like the, the apparel company. I don't know. Okay. No. Ah, see, cause, cause you're in Europe. So I guess you don't, they're, they're like one of the massive uh, major apparel companies in the United States and they're, they're not too far away. But I mean, uh, what, what's the big, what's the big apparel company in Europe? Like Uniqlo? I don't know. Uniqlo. What, what, who do you, I, sh- what? I shopped at the suit supply yesterday. I got some uh, new shirts, but it's a, right. it's a Dutch brand. It's, it's, it's in the U S as well, but it's not that big. So, okay. So. But imagine how much data suit supply has and mm-hmm. imagine if they've been around for a hundred years. I yeah. mean, that, that gets really, really mad. And it, it's funny because I don't really want to play that game. I don't want to be in that, that world. Which, which world do you want to be in? Um, so, okay. Well, I mean, we can talk about the platform. So we developed a learning platform over the summer. And what's interesting about that is that I am tracking all of the data. I'm tracking psychographic data. I built the entire system myself from the ground up. So I got to arch- architect it, which is awesome. But what's also interesting, it's kind of like, um, it gets a little meta in that I'm now taking data from that system and then we're analyzing it in class. So it's like, a huge ro- it's a i wouldn't say it's not it's not a huge data set but it's very robust so there's a lot of information so we're starting to we're starting to test ads now so we can see which ads are promoting which projects or, or products and then you know what what is the buyer journey we can see that all in google mm-hmm. analytics so yeah the, the space that i'm interested in is kind of like newer business like you were saying your your friends have started a business within the past 15 years so let's walk through an example of if I wanted to start a mom and pops shop, like a, let's say it was a, a retail shop, like a selling clothes on downtown. If I started it this year, I would be collecting all of my point of sale data with Stripe. All that data is automatically collected oh. and it's clean. I mean, maybe every once in a while it's going to be corrupted, but thinking about how they did it before, like 30 years ago, you would just write it down. And I mean, there are a ton of problems with that. And then, I, I mean, I guess they would write it down and then somebody would hard code it into Excel and then maybe do some analysis. They probably didn't even get that far, though, you know? No, indeed. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of problems with it. All right. So Matt Bratton wants to know, how is entrepreneurial life treating you? <laughs> nice question, Matt. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I've been I've been an entrepreneur for for one and a half years now, but for some time also as a part-time business owner. So I was still an employee at Capgemini. And after I 
quit my job completely. There was so much more space in my head to think and to create new stuff, to create concepts, or to create, to write LinkedIn posts, to to think about okay, how should I reach clients and and how should I how can I best teach soft skills to analytical people and what are the challenges and more time to talk about challenges as well what are, what are exactly the challenges that data professionals face and that gives me so much joy what 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 i love the most is helping people grow and getting getting a message from someone individual saying hey um i've been to your workshops and this is what i what i learned that's that's why i do my work that's why in the end if i look you know, back at my professional life, these are the moments I, I, I remember, the individual contribution to, to someone else's growth. And yeah, so I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do and entrepreneurial life is uh, it's fantastic. I can decide what I do, what I work on. I meet a bunch of great people, so I'm really enjoying it. Also, we need to share. Uh, yeah, surprises. I want one thing. I will share a surprise. Many people ask me, "Hey, don't you want to do this together?" And I work together with many, many people, um, but not in a. They, they're not employees, right? So in that sense, I'm by myself. But it feels so connecting with other people all over the world, with other entrepreneurs, with people I work with, with companies I work with. So that's maybe the biggest surprise. Thanks, Matt. Okay. All right, man, we have some good questions coming in, but I did want to touch on, all right, let's touch on this right now. So you sent me this, which is really cool. So soft skills for data professionals. This is your maturity model. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about this? Yeah. Let me, uh, let me run through it. So what, what I did, I interviewed a lot of data professionals, a lot of leaders in the industry to, find okay what are the most important communication skills soft skills and how can people grow to put that into a model and what i show here is that you have four models first is more operational support where you're just kind of supporting and doing what people want service provider you, you think a bit more about the business consultant you look a bit broader not just about the requests you get but also from a broader perspective uh, how can I advise people with the data, with the knowledge of the data and the knowledge of the business? An entrepreneur is looking uh, at new opportunities and building those new opportunities, selling the business case to to the business. And of course, all these steps have different pillars. Wow, I feel like I've gone through these steps. I think I'm. Yeah. I think I'm level level four. Congratulations! Yeah, I you think made I'm it. There. Well, so. <laughs> We built the platform, and then one of the revenue models is that we're going to build out a certification program for Greensboro College. So it's going to be a revenue stream that we split with each other. Right. So that's that's kind of a, that's an example of an entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. it's like entrepreneurship within an organization. Exactly. That's what entrepreneurship means. Yeah. And and it's funny because I was talking to somebody. Well, I was talking to a CFO of a, of a pretty prestigious, like a pretty name brand company. And he was saying that if you can get to that entrepreneur stage and you're a C-suite executive, it's a pretty cushy life. It's like, cause you have that security of the full-time job, but you get to do novel things. Cause 
the reason that I don't think I could be employed in a traditional sense is that it's 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 not novel enough. Like mm-hmm. it, it would be boring. Like I, I just wouldn't. I feel like I would get tired of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I mean, like right now you're 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 in the entrepreneurship light. Like you see all the different opportunities, and it's like every day feels different. To where I don't know if I could go to it. Uh, well, I tried doing a nine to five, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> No, then probably you're not uh, you're not made for it, or at least you found something else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the, these are the these are the steps, and if we go down a bit, it's oh, it yeah. with the uh, on the slides, it's 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 quite detailed, so we don't need to go in yeah. everything, but just on the to see the different pillars. So the first one is ability to talk with stakeholders and understand business problems. So if you're at if you're at the bottom, you may may just give the data people ask for. And all the way at the top is business empathy. So really finding the question behind the question. So can we pause here? I, I kind of, I have some thoughts. Yeah. So go for is it. this, is this um, one thing that I've realized that I do, and I think this might, because like you said, being a used car salesman, I sold insurance. So I mean, I wasn't far off, <laughs> <laughs> but what you do when you want something is, I mean, and maybe this is like a little Machiavellian or manipulative, but um when when talk about things in terms of what other people want so it's like mm-hmm. i know that, that this is a pain point for you and then build them a solution that also benefits yourself but if you lead with hey this is what i want and that could come off as really abrasive do you mm-hmm. have any thoughts on that no absolutely i think i think we always need to life becomes so much easier if we first think okay what do the, does the other person need and of course we have needs ourselves right we need to be assertive and you need to get your own needs met uh, in, in life in general. But if you think about business, we need to think way more about what do other, what do the other person, people, what do the other people need? What, what drives their decisions? How can I help them? Mm-hmm. And what we usually do, I think what is the inclination of almost every person is to think about, think in our own head, you know, what's going on there and overthink stuff. And I think making that shift helps to, yeah get what you just described is to to understand their perspective so and they will appreciate your work much more as well because they have the feeling this person can help me instead of ah this person is just this data guy who doesn't understand me and i don't don't understand what he does or she does yeah well i mean it's also too like instead of like i'm on one side of the table and you're the other and we're, we're negotiating aggressively it's like all right let's just come to the same side of the table and we're partnering. I think Absolutely. that is a really good frame. And then that way it's like, we're in this together. You're, you're my person. I'm your, like, I mean, it's, it, it Absolutely. Feels, yeah. Like, I don't know how to, I let me, let me, let that. me take one thing. Okay. I, man, these, these infographics are sharp. Hunter, we got to get on this. What do you think? Yeah, Hunter? I also, uh, right. Natika wants you to pronounce Gilbert's last name. Yeah, right. go for it, John David. So, okay, we <laughs> we need to run through the lore of the podcast. So I called her Nikita for about two months, I think. And what's funny is that I'm terrible at pronouncing names, and we seem to be getting an increasingly international audience. So, like, the people from Nigeria, I have a hard time pronouncing their name. So, all right, let me pronounce – is it Eichland Bloom? Eichland Bloom? Yeah, not bad. It's, okay. Uh, Eichelenboom, yeah. Eichelenboom, Eichelen. Uh, I, I want to put the second attempt. Eichelenboom. <laughs> All right, 
There you've I've, I've been a little monkey and I've done a little dance for you guys. I hope you're happy. <laughs> I want I want to I try to uh, put the chat uh, the the link in the chat by the way to the full model. Okay. But I put it in private chat, so maybe you can uh, put it Here. in the chat. Hunter, can, John you, David. can you handle that? Um, I'm actually not. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh yeah, I it's see. in the private chat. Yeah, I've got that's it. right. Um, this actually, did... Hunter, can you put it as a comment down below? Because that that that'll be easier for people to see. Yeah. Awesome. So what I wanted to share, you, you triggered me, John David, when you said, <laughs> okay, you kind of need to, to to come to the same side, right? Instead of right. sitting onto each other and having this discussion and being aggressive. I think what, what happens very often is, is, is this, because this is where we are, the data professional. I hope you can see it. It's, yeah. Maybe we need to uh, stop sharing. <laughs> oh, right, right, yeah, let me do that. Otherwise, it's very small. So this is where we are, the, the the blue person. And here on the other side of the table, we have the, the red one. And what we see here is uh, 61, right? And we have this discussion about what we see and you, you can't really agree, but only I know only once you get to the other side of the table and, and the person said, no, you're, you're wrong, you're wrong. Only if you get to the other side of the table, you see, okay, that person also sees something, which is also valid. And I think, of course, this is a very simplistic example, but it shows that often there are two ways of looking at things and they have their own perspective. And even if you're right, it's worth listening to that person and understanding his or her perspective because people get very emotional if they think they're right. And if you think that, if you say that you're right, it's only getting worse, right? So mm -hmm. drop your own thoughts and walk to the other side of the table, understand the perspective of the other person, and then use that, use that information about his or her world to convince his, him or her. So that, use that information against them. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> against them, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but, and, like, um, and create a win-win. That's uh, Right, right. That's what we need to do. See, and that, this kind of circles back to the, the concept of judgment. Because, yeah, there are multiple solutions to any given problem, but which one is the most efficient or which one is the appropriate one? Because it may not actually be the most efficient option. It may be the one that is sustainable, mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, for example, like working 80 hours a week, I can get a bunch of work done, but I can only do that two weeks in a row before I'm done. So it's exactly. like, like, but I mean, so I, I flew out to Santa Barbara four weeks ago to record um a couple more courses for LinkedIn. I had to do a bunch of um, updating the courses and man, that week was brutal, but I don't, it was just like one sprint. So mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it's sometimes you're, yeah, it, you make, and it needs to be sustainable. I, I see what you mean there because your, your solution, your insights or your data model, your algorithm needs to fit in the business processes. Otherwise it doesn't really work. And maybe, your the, the the best model may not be the model with the largest impact, if you know what I mean. You know the mm -hmm. the one with the most the the best accuracy, because people don't want to use it for some yeah, reason. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of emotion and people get frustrated, and if they don't use it, the impact is zero. So it's it's worth paying attention. All right, do you want to? We can pull back up that because wait, I, th I feel like there were multiple yeah. things that I mm -hmm. wanted to to talk about. Um, yeah, sure. The Should I pick it up? Thing. Yeah, pick it up. Yeah, so the, the first one we, we got, and then the second one is about stakeholder management and gaining buy-in. So as a data professional, why do people listen to you? They listen because they trust 
that you can help them. And if you don't have this trust, if you don't have this reputation of being helpful, then people won't listen. And on the bottom, you see limited stakeholder involvement. I think many data professionals are not involved enough, don't understand enough what the business wants, and therefore the level of trust is also low. And they will be less likely to be asked to to contribute, you know, to a to a meeting with the management team to get some insights that will help them make decisions. Mm-hmm. So that's I the second one. I have a question: How do you build trust? Because I have a feeling it's very similar to how you build confidence. Hmm. Right. I. I, guess I don't confidence know. Confidence is self trust, right? Yeah, it's con- confidence is self trust. Well, I think self confidence is not saying. I have all the answers. I know everything, but more, no matter what happens, I'll be okay. That would be my, my definition of self-confidence. Wait, say that again. No matter what happens, I will be okay. Okay. I was thinking about more, I guess, situational confidence. Like I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can pull off this job, you know, or, because I think a lot of people specifically in my, our audience is imposter syndrome. Right. But I mean, that's like a whole side tangent. So yeah, how do, how do you build trust? Yeah, it's funny because there there's one man, he came up with a formula of trust. And the first time oh. I saw this, it was really interesting because f- f- trust is this fluffy concept, right? This abstract concept. You don't really know what it is. But the formula of trust, what, what he said is um, trust is equal to C plus I plus... R divided by S. So C, I, R, C plus I plus R divided by S. And what the letters stand for is uh, credibility. So what is your reputation? Do people believe you? Uh, Reliability. Can people trust that you deliver and in time? And I is intimacy. So will they also share secrets and their, their worries with you? It's like the Benjamin Franklin effect a little bit, right? I don't know the Benjamin Franklin effect. So well, I'm going to learn the, something today. I guess the Benjamin Franklin effect is if someone does something for you, they're more likely to like you because they uh, can't right. deal with the cognitive dissonance of he's a bad person, but I've helped him. But but I guess that's not right. necessarily intimacy, but it is it is kind of vulnerability in a way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I think it's related indeed. And then on the on the bottom, there's the S of self-orientation. So if you have a high degree of self-orientation, you care about your own goals, you have you, you look after your own interest only, then the the trustworthiness is goes down. So again, trust is equal to credibility, reliability, intimacy divided by self-orientation. Wait, okay. I, I my answer was much simpler, it was just demonstrated performance. That's how you build yeah. confidence. It's how you build uh, trust. Like, right. like you, you get that small win in and then you slowly ratchet it up. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's part of it. You need to do that. Right. And, and, and I think there, there are more ways, but this is the quickest way I think to, to win that trust. And I think what's important there is that we as data professionals champion our work and show what are the results, not, and not to brag saying, Hey, I improved this metric by 20% thanks to my insights, but to show others, to educate other teams and departments 
what other possibilities with data and what you can do to help them as well. Okay. This is a, a little bit of a self-serving question here, but do you, have you thought much about or lending, like lending your credibility to someone else? So con concrete example that's extremely relevant is that, I mean, we just sat down with the, a business owner. I mean, they're doing like, I think nine figures in revenue, me and Hunter. I mean, Hunter, you're great. You look like Doobie Hauser though. I mean, you're super young looking, <laughs> but what was awesome though, is that this business owner of this large company was like, yeah, Hunter, I want you to come build out this system. And I, I, I was to be full, fully full disclosure. I was a little anxious that he was going to not, it wasn't going to go as smoothly as it did. But Hunter, you stepped up and I'm, I'm proud of you, but Thank like you. what, what essentially, okay. So let me, let me tell you about how this person took my LinkedIn courses, found out that we were in the same town and was like, Oh, one of the leading experts in analytics is, you know, a mile away from me. Let me sit down with him. So that just as far as credibility, I don't know if you're going to get any, any bigger than that. Cause I mean, that's, LinkedIn's mm -hmm. a huge platform. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at the fact that I'm, I've removed myself from the situation and he's talking directly with the client now. Like, right. That's wild to me. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, may, may, it could, could happen because of various reasons. I think, first of all, because Hunter did a great job, you know, apparently he came across as confident and as I can, I can handle the job and, uh, and also what can could can help is that if he trusts you, John David, then he automatically assumes that the people you work with are good as well, uh, can help him to to get the results he's after. So this is kind of the implied um, credibility that you're talking about, I think, so, right? So it's like trust by association? By association, so yeah. This, kind of, this, this, and this kind of circles back to branding, which is... Um, yeah, something that I'm actively trying to like wrap my head around, which I, I've improved my brand recently, and I and I'm seeing kind of the the waves that it's echoing out in the in the uh, the world. It's bringing more opportunity, but essentially that that can be packaged up for those who are listening about how to get an analytics shop, build out a portfolio that can hugely improve the amount of trust that you have going into an interview going into a consulting project because they already they can see what you've done absolutely and everyone is trying to minimize risk in business right. because business yeah and everyone tries to minimize risk so if they see something if they see testimonials or they see your work what you have done in the past they have less there's less assumptions they need to make and the jump will be not as big so i think you spawn out so actually, may, maybe we need to um, rescind what we said about trust. It was the fact that Hunter's just captivating. That's what it is. <laughs> he yeah. captivated the client. So uh, persuasion, influence, and storytelling. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So I like the bridge there. Yeah, what, what I think many data professionals who just start off they focus on more the technical technical side, the technical details. They gave to, they talk in jargon. They don't understand what really matters to the to the business, and don't don't speak the language. While 
a more experienced person on top, the entrepreneur level, knows how to use storytelling as well. So not talking so much about the data, but more about not saying, hey, I see um, the customer uh, retention is 20% down. And I also see that social media engagement is 20% down. Um, but saying, I see the retention is 20% down and uh, social media engagement is also 20% down. So let's let's look what happened here. Let's take an example, John. Um, so John is a customer and he, he was waiting on the phone for 45 minutes, you know. He was about to to convert, to, to buy even more, but then he got so frustrated and so fed up with it that he hung up the phone and went to the competitor. So small, small things like that with characters in, in their stories help to get your message across and be captivating instead of, instead of just throwing that dry data over the fence. Well, you know, you know what this is making me think of? Um, there's this, this quote, I think it's from either World War I or World War II. Some general or some politician said, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a reason why charity organizations, they don't speak a lot about those 20,000 uh, people in Kenya who are starving. Now they talk about one person, Marlene, who has two kids, 32 years old, who is trying to escape uh, starvation. And mm-hmm. they try really zooming in on that. And I think we can do the same as data professionals, zooming in on one specific point that makes people relate to the situation. And the, the heroes or the characters that we need to choose in our stories are not our audience. So if you talk to salespeople, you don't talk about them and you don't make yourself the hero, but you make the people they care about the hero, which is prospects. So people that are about to get clients, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what salespeople want. They want to convert them. So if you talk about them, how they cannot convert due to uh, something, or or if you have an insight how people have a more, more likelihood to convert, then you help them reach their goals. So I think by implementing those kind of storytelling techniques, the, um, you show that you understand their problems and their goals and you help them reach them. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that influence is the new, well, it's a new form of currency that we haven't quite wrapped our heads around. Because especially it's, 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 it can scale up now with social media mm-hmm. and the internet in a way that you'd have to have like a full news team to do before. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And you can reach people all over the world. I mean, we're having this conversation, right? Overseas. That's true. So let's see. Do you, did you want to go through this, this whole? No, story? not the whole thing. People can, uh, on mindspeaking.com, you can find uh, the whole maturity model, but this is a bit too much to go into, but okay. the next one, yeah, we can just have a quick look at the, at the last part. Yeah, for, those who are, uh, for those who are live, it's posted in the Discord. For those who are watching the video after the fact, it's going to be down in the comments below. So just check down there for gotcha. all this information. Did you want me to go, go down or up? Yeah, this one with mindset. Okay. I'll just uh, briefly touch upon these. So four pillars. First is focus. Are you focused on yeah, using the fancy technologies or business results? And then the second one is about educational role. Of course, as a data professional, you have a lot of technical knowledge, a lot of data knowledge. 
and all the all of the company would benefit from you sharing that and not just sharing the technical knowledge but also sharing how people can get value from data and educating them and of course they need to learn more about data data literacy programs you have them but also i believe data professionals also need to have this um, educational role and share their knowledge not just within the team which is more on the lower end but also to other people then the third one is about initiative and impact so are you mostly concerned with your own you know within your own uh, role or are you impacting the whole organization the last one is humility i included that because i heard from so many people that some yeah i think data professionals they they like to have logical insights right and i think when people think they have the right answer sometimes they become a bit stubborn and a bit mm -hmm. um sometimes a bit even uh, condescending towards people who are not as technically adept or uh, not a, not as much data knowledge, and I think it's it's fundamentally wrong because yeah, I touched upon this a few times in the last hour that we need to be have a co-creation mindset. We working in data have part of the solution, but we need to understand the business to understand how the data can help them make better decisions. Gotcha. This is awesome. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting, I, I just had a conversation with the developer about kind of like the, I think they called them the corporate stooges and it's the managerial class. It's like a whole class of people and a whole mindset. And I think part of it gets into like underlying values. Like they are very, very high in um, orderliness and in, in industriousness. So they want everything, they work really hard and they want everything organized to where like if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a developer, if you're kind of like maybe even a data professional, you want to explore and you want to bust out of things. So there's some tension there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you need to be able to deal with the tension. And I think a lot of that tension you need soft skills for because right. without soft skills, you cannot really deal with the tension. You either, you either uh, escape from it or you go full on and you will make a, a lot of get to a lot of damage. Are you talking about like it's fight or flight? Like you either fight or you flight? Yeah, I think uh, so. If you, if you don't really know what uh, yeah, what you can do, what yeah. your options are, and, and soft skills, are, there's a lot of nuance, right? If I mm -hmm. imagine, uh, imagine I don't want to, I, I don't want to work with you anymore or only in certain, in certain areas, I need to have a tough conversation, right? Saying, John David, this, this is what I like about our collaboration, but um, and, and this part, I, I don't really want to do anymore. It's it's a tough conversation and all kinds of tough conversations you need to have if you want to grow as a data professional. That's true. I think Tim Ferriss said the like the success you have or the quality of your life is dependent on how many uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. No, I like that. I like Tim Ferriss as well. It's funny. I fell off with him, but he definitely shit, like changed the trajectory of my life with the four hour work week. I read that when I was like 22 and I was like, wow. <laughs> This is this is wild. Got you on the entrepreneurial path. Yeah, he did. Awesome. So, Gilbert, thank you so much for your time. Do you have uh, where can people find you? Do you have anything else that you want to shout out? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. 
if you were able to spell my last name, Pichon <laughs> David, uh, just follow his pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, just just read the phonetic spelling of. <laughs> exactly, but if you find uh, mind speaking, you'll find uh, Gilbert, and uh, that will be me. Yeah, you'll find more information on mindspeaking.com. I uh, I'm mostly focused on giving trainings for companies right now. I I do have one workshop uh, still coming up on the thirtieth, which is about buy-in, gaining buy-in and persuasion. On the thirtieth, I believe there's one spot left. So if you uh, like to attend, you can let me know or just buy a ticket on mindspeaking.com. And yeah, looking forward to uh, to connect with more people and talk about these these topics. I think. There's so much we can learn, um, and learning every day gives uh, a lot of satisfaction for me, at least, and I think for many people. Many people are curious, so uh, let's keep on learning. Awesome. Well, Gilbert, this has been fantastic. I always enjoy our conversations. So thank you so much for coming on. I'll see you later. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious: were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.